or Second Chronicles, chapter thirty. I think, I think every year, right about this time, I have a character sketch for a Sunday school lesson of the man named Hezekiah. Uh, I will not attempt to hide my admiration for the man Hezekiah. He was an amazing king in Israel's history. He left on Judah no mark. And we, we know of David. He was a man after God's own heart. And then we have those awful scenes of David's life that are chronicled so carefully for us that show us the depth of depravity. There was Solomon and his grandeur and wisdom. And uh, he, he had all those wives that turned his heart. He started well and finished poorly. There are, there is another king named Josiah who was similar to Hezekiah. I believe he was the, the great-grandson of Hezekiah. There are a couple of scenes in Hezekiah's life where the Lord confronts him over his pride. There are two scenes, in fact, where his pride is confronted, and he responds very well both times. So those are reminders, of course, of our fallenness, his fallenness, and so forth. But on the whole, on the whole, Hezekiah was a wonderful king and a wonderful man. So let's pray, and then we're going to study the man Hezekiah as he appears throughout Scripture, and I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Father, would you give us grace as we study about this great king of Judah? Um, may we learn wonderful lessons from Hezekiah, remembering that, of course, he was a man just like we are. He was fallen. He had his own sins and problems, and he had to overcome so much. But may we look to him as a, as a model of faith in a fallen world. May we look to him as a, as a person who navigated his situation well, and your scripture commends his character diligence to your things. And so may we model what was good in him and ourselves. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Hey, Jackson, would you mind just grabbing that door real quick, just shutting it, making sure? Okay, Hezekiah, had you turn to Second Chronicles 30? We're going to be skipping around a little bit, but that's pretty much the one of the kind of primary places we'll stay. I have to fly because Hezekiah is a man who has a lot in Scripture written about him. And so what I'd like to do is cover just a brief chronology of Hezekiah's life, and then we will cover, let's see here, five attributes of Hezekiah that I think, five positive attributes of Hezekiah that I think we can learn from today. So, the chronology. Now, I'm going to explain this very briefly as though this is the first time you've come into a Bible-preaching church in your life. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that's a weird name, Hezekiah, and talking about him like I should know who he is, or these other people like I should know who they are. Well, let me, let me explain. There was a man named uh, Abraham. He lived long, long ago, Genesis chapter 12, and God called him out of a city and said, I want you to go to the promised land. And from Abraham, God created a nation. Abraham was the first and he had a whole bunch of kids through his son Isaac. And these people later became known as Israel. Okay? Israel developed as a nation. For a long time, Israel 
served under one banner. It was Israel. They had King Saul and King David and King Solomon. But right after King Solomon ruled Israel, this was sort of at the peak of their um, existence. There was turmoil, and there was the threat of civil war, and the nation split in two. The northern part of Israel, they kept their name Israel, and they followed a certain set of kings. There was a southern kingdom, which was called Judah, and Judah followed David's line, King David's line. David was one of the kings of Israel. And so history from Solomon on starts to track sort of on these parallel uh, streaks of history. You've got Israel and you've got Judah. And you, as you read through this, you always have to sort of remember what's going on. Now, these two nations were, of course, very closely linked. They were right next to each other geographically. They spoke the same language. They had a lot of the same customs. They had a lot of the same family. And so very much these nations interacted with each other, and they would have times of hot and cold. Sometimes they'd get along, sometimes they wouldn't. Well, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. In fact, he was the 13th king of Judah. He also happened to reign exactly when the nation Israel was getting wiped out and coming to an end. Remember I told you the parallel tracks. They would follow each other along. And if this were a race, uh, Israel dropped out of the race before Judah did. And Hezekiah was the king who was ruling Judah when Israel ceased to exist for all intents and purposes, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Any questions about that? Do we understand what's going on? Any questions? That's the bird's eye view of the history of Judah and Israel. Now you, you guys are ready to go, okay? Okay, so Hezekiah was the 13th king of the southern tribe, the southern kingdom, rather, of Judah. For reference, he lives about 250 years after David. Okay? King David was the second king of Israel. He was... He wrote a bunch of our Old Testament. He was a giant. You think about this. Hezekiah was about as far away from King David as we are from George Washington. Okay, So this may as well have been ancient history as far as Hezekiah was concerned. Hezekiah had a dad whose name was Ahaz. Ahaz was a king and a wicked man at that. Ahaz destroyed the, or tried to do everything he could to destroy the worship of God. He allowed the, God's temple to fall into disrepair. He brought in false religions and false teachers. On every street corner, we're told, he would have an idol dedicated to some god. In fact, Ahaz submitted to the ruling nation of the day, which was called Assyria. Assyria was a giant nation. Their ruler at this time was Tiglath-Pileser III, one of the great figures of all of history. He was a, a warrior, a warrior king. And Ahaz went and met Tiglath-Pileser III, and he said, you know what? His gods are so powerful, I'm going to make his gods to be my gods. And Ahaz patterned all of his worship after the Assyrian gods. Well, 
Hezekiah also had a son who ruled, whose name was Manasseh. Manasseh, too, started as a wicked man. But later in Manasseh's life, he remembered the faith of his father. And he repented and he turned. And he ended up finishing very well. The Lord restored his fortunes. And that says a lot for Hezekiah that his son, when he faced trouble, would say, you know what? My dad followed this God. God's, God was good to him. Maybe God will be good to me. So this was sort of the, the religious understanding in Hezekiah's home. Like I said, Hezekiah's reign dovetailed with Israel being destroyed, the northern kingdoms being destroyed. They were destroyed by Assyria, by this man named Tiglath-Pileser III, and all of the Assyrian kings that would come after him. Assyria at this time was the major dominant power. They were the Rome. They were the uh, Napoleonic era of France. They were the United States of America post-Cold War. They They were the biggest, baddest military force on the block, and nobody could stand up to them. They conquered Israel, and they were breathing threatenings on the kingdom of Judah. And this ended up coming to define the reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah would have to face down this giant power of Assyria who was coming out of the north and threatening to destroy them. Okay? Any questions about that sort of historical overview of the life of Hezekiah? Any questions about that? It's a fascinating time of history, by the way, this Assyrian, because it went Assyria, Babylon, uh, uh, Greece, Rome. It's a cool time of history, but I'm not going to nerd out on that, okay? Okay? Any, any Any questions? No? Okay. Now let's get to Hezekiah and the attributes of Hezekiah. If you want to write these down, we've got five of them. First and foremost, Hezekiah was a religious reformer. He's a religious reformer. I had you turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 30. Let's actually go to 29. It's on the page. It's just across the page, 2 Chronicles 29. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Now listen to this. This is very important. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. They didn't so much mark days of the month in his time of ruling. They marked the month and the year. So what is this writer saying? He's saying Hezekiah's first act of rulership, Hezekiah's first act as king, was to throw open the doors to the temple, was to begin to repair what his father Ahaz had torn down. It says that he wanted to cleanse the temple. This actually took quite a long time. It took eight months for the priests to go in and repair the temple, to bring all the accoutrements of worship out and make sure that they were in proper stead. Ahaz had taken a lot of these items that were gold and silver and bronze, and he'd sold them off for money. And so Hezekiah had to have them remade and reconsecrated and reinstituted. We hear that and we go, man, eight months seems like a long time just to clean a place up. These people were rejoicing that it only took eight months. That's how 
bad and disrepair it was. In 2 Chronicles 29.20, I want you to see, Then Hezekiah, the king, arose early after the temple had been restored and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. It's clear that the officials of the city weren't totally happy about being rounded up and told, you're going to go worship the Lord. They fought him on it. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. He said, you know what? We are the Lord's people, and I don't care who you are, you're coming to worship the Lord with me. And he threw open the doors of the temple, he had it all cleansed, and we're told that he even financed the sacrifices out of his own pocket. He insisted that the priests cleanse themselves. He insisted that the officials go and worship. He went and worshiped, and he reinstituted temple sacrifice there in Jerusalem. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 30. It would be one thing just to reinstitute the system, but did you know in the, the sacrificial system, did you know in the Old Testament, God had stipulated that Israel celebrate certain holidays? They were, they were supposed to celebrate the Passover, the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, all these feasts. There were several, there were seven of these feasts that Israel was supposed to have. It was supposed to be rejoicing and pleasure and holiday. God built into his calendar religious holiday. And the people ignored it. In fact, this was the first step that the northern kingdom had taken away. The king said, don't go to Jerusalem anymore for this religious holiday. We'll have our own religion where we can all stay home close. So the people stopped celebrating the Passover. It had been over 200 years since the people celebrated this holiday of the Passover. And Hezekiah said, we're instituting the Passover. We're bringing it back. And in chapter 30, we hear of this amazing event that took place in Israel's history. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem and keep the Passover to the Lord. He invested a bunch of his own money, his own people, his own officials, and, um, uh, and, and, and uh, 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 let's see here, leaders, educators. They too threw in animals for the sacrifice. There were people who couldn't get themselves cleansed in time to do it, and Hezekiah prayed for them, and they had this week-long feast. They came, and they celebrated, and they rejoiced. It was a wonderful week, and this is, this is really astounding, okay? Think about, think about what this might look like here in our state, okay? All the Christians coming together for a week-long festival of worship and food and praise, and at the end of the week, the people went to Hezekiah, and they said, this was awesome. Can we stay another week? <laughs> can, we, can we keep it going? And Hezekiah said, not only can you, let me pay for the meat that you'll eat this week. And he donated bulls and lambs and goats so that they would continue the feast for another week. Isn't that amazing? Hezekiah was a generous, big-hearted man who was also a religious reformer. Now, this religious reform was not without controversy. It wasn't without controversy. 
In 2 Kings 18.4, we're told that he destroyed all the idols that had been put all over the city. You know, we're told in the Bible that money and idolatry always go hand in glove. How many of you have been in a third world country where they have um, kind of like a, 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 an area of the city where trinkets to the local gods are sold? Anybody ever been to a place like that? A lot of you. All those people make money off of that. All of the candles, all of the idols, all of the laminated pictures, all of the clothes, all of the garland, all of the necklaces, all of the beads, everything. Somebody's making money on it. And Hezekiah was no different. There were all these peddlers of false religion in his city, and he kicked them all out. And do you think they went down without a fight? Do you think they were happy about that? <laughs> Absolutely not. But the man stood up to them. And in fact, there was an item from Israel's history. Do you guys remember from the book of Numbers when the people had gotten bit by snakes and Moses took a bronze serpent and set it up on a pole and everybody who looked at it was healed from their snake bite? Do you remember that? The people of Israel saved it. For 700 years, they saved it. They had a word for it. It was called Nehushtan. And they set it up where everybody could look at it, a 700-year-old religious item. 700. That's amazing. And people were worshiping it. And Hezekiah destroyed it. Think of the courage it took from that man to destroy something that had that much history and biblical backing behind it. Think of all the excuses he could have made to keep it. But he said, no, no, this is becoming an idol. It was never meant to be this. God does not want this. And he destroyed this thing that was seven centuries old. As part of his religious reform, Hezekiah was an evangelist. I had you turn to Second Chronicles 30. Let's go there. Remember when I told you that uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been destroyed? It had been. Some of the people had fled before the army. Some of the Israelites didn't get deported. Some of them figured out a way not to get caught in the net of the Assyrians. After the Assyrians went home with all their war treasure, they remained. Hezekiah had a heart for these people. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 6, it says, So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn uh, again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord of their father, the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. And serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion 
with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Hezekiah didn't much care. There were some people who came. But here's a man who's sending envoys, sending preachers, sending representatives to bring people back worship the Lord. So, Hezekiah's first and foremost attribute was that he was a religious reformer. Secondly, Hezekiah was a biblical educator, okay? He was a biblical educator. Second Chronicles 31, Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah rather, this is insisted that offerings be given again for the Levites so that the Levites could return to their job of teaching. You see, for a long time, the the Levites, which was a family in Judah, they were assigned, their job was to teach the people the law. It was to teach people how to obey the Lord. It was supposed to be a priestly, literate class who educated the people. Well, the people of Judah, the, the, the Levites who were responsible for teaching, weren't given land. They weren't given the opportunity to grow their own food and make their own living. They were supposed to rely on the offerings of the people. Well, the people of Judah stopped obeying this. And they stopped paying their teachers to teach them. And so what did the Levites do? Well, they have to eat. So they started working the land. They started up in occupations. They started doing things that they needed to do to exist. And so for centuries, the Levites went unpaid for, and the law went untaught. And Hezekiah said, no more. We are, ed- we are paying for our teachers. And they started taking offerings, and it says that the offerings for the teachers piled so high that Hezekiah had to build warehouses to store them all. And the Levites actually weren't too happy about this at first. They were like, we kind of like working the land. And he's like, nope, you're teachers, you need to teach. And so they started paying for the Levites to do this. And so these Levites began their ministry of teaching the word again. In Proverbs 25.1, we're told, listen to this, Hezekiah made his city officials handwrite copies of all the Proverbs of Solomon and keep them and read them. He said, you know what? We leaders need wisdom. And so you guys are going to handwrite copies. You're going to sit down and you're going to write out the Proverbs so that you can have in your own handwriting God's wisdom. There was a problem. And we don't know about this from the Bible. This is actually uh, Hezekiah. There's been a lot of archaeology surrounding Hezekiah. And we know this from archaeological digs. When Hezekiah told the Levites to start teaching, and he made the city officials handwrite copies of the law, do you know what they said? They said, well, that's great, but we can't read. And we can't write. Literacy had fallen into very, uh, like, 
historic lows for this country. And so Hezekiah reinstituted a national literacy program where he encouraged adults to learn how to read and write, mainly so they could understand the word of God. It's quite an astounding thing. And because of that, because of that, because of this rise of literacy, literature in Hezekiah's reign exploded. Here are the people who wrote during Hezekiah's day. Isaiah wrote the majority of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a literary marvel. Micah, the prophet, wrote during his time. Um, Hosea, the prophet, wrote during Hezekiah's time. Secular historians have traced non-canonical literature. All sorts of poetry and literature and religious affection started pouring out of Judah at this time. We're going to reference it later, but Hezekiah himself was a bit of a poet. Literacy, re religious literature began to flower with the return of reading and writing in this religious reform. Hezekiah was a biblical educator. He wanted people to know the Bible, and he provided the tools that they could. He was, number three, an efficient builder. We'll go through this quickly. He built warehouses and cities. He built towers and walls. He built fortifications against the Assyrians. And he actually built something that's a marvel today. You can actually go visit it today. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Have you ever heard of Hezekiah's Tunnel? Okay, yeah, you can go to Jerusalem today. So when, when Assyria invaded the land, he said, you know what, I'm not going to let Sennacherib, the ruler of Assyria, have all the water. In fact, I'm going to starve him of water, and I'm going to get us the water. So they built uh, the wall that went around it, and then he dug a tunnel. He had two teams building, one from one end of the, uh, where the source was, and one from a, 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 a place where it would come out. And the two teams dug and dug and dug, and they met in the middle. It's, let's see here, it's a third of a mile long. <laughs> it's, it's almost 600 yards long. That's two football, uh, 600 yards. That's six football fields long. And you can walk through it. I did, I walked through it. Um, it starts about as high as your ankle, but it's got a 0.06% grade. So the water doesn't rush through the tunnel. It gently trickles from one end of the tunnel to the other. In the middle of the tunnel, the water is very high and the ceiling is very low. I'm short. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't say I'm claustrophobic, but there's no lights, it's dark, the water was up to about my chin and the ceiling was about to here. So I wasn't sad that the line was moving along, okay? <laughs> and we just walked through Hezekiah's tunnel, and it, it's actually a historical marvel. D nobody knows how two teams, one digging one way and one digging the other, met in the middle. There's all sorts of theories of how they did it, but it's such an engineering marvel that scholars today doubt that they did it, even though it's recorded the, 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 the feat is recorded not only in Israel's history, but in Egypt's history and in Assyria's history. 
The official Assyrian chronicler says, as to Hezekiah, the king of the Jews, he somehow figured out how to get water into his town, and so we only got taxes from them, which wasn't true. They didn't get taxes from them, but they had to make it sound good, okay? So it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's a marvel. All right, enough nerding out on Hezekiah's tunnel. I suggest you go to Israel and walk through it. I think you'll enjoy it if you're not claustrophobic and don't mind cold water or dark. Um, I don't know if there's spiders in there. You can't see them if they're there, okay? Um, so, but it's cool, okay? Uh, Hezekiah was al also a man of prayer. He was, he was a man of prayer. In fact, I'm probably, if, if Hezekiah, we know he's in heaven, but if, if, if he's listening in right now, he, he might be a little upset that I didn't list this first, okay? There are four prayers of Hezekiah recorded in the Old Testament. The first prayer was in Passover, at Passover, Second Chronicles 31. There were people who did not prepare themselves, but they wanted to be a part of the festival. And so Hezekiah prayed for them, and God said, yes, they can eat it, even though they haven't prepared. There was a prayer that he made when Sennacherib in Second Kings chapter 19, verse 14, arrived with the army. The king sent his Rabshakeh with threatening letters. They came and they threatened the people sitting on the wall. And Hezekiah took the letters and he laid them out before the Lord and he prayed. He prayed. And God delivered him with one of the great deliveries of the Bible. It says, an angel of the Lord came and killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. Now, again, the, Hezekiah's reign has a lot of archaeological proof around it. The Egyptian history of the event is recorded. They say somehow, Hezekiah, uh, somehow Assyria lost a bunch of their men in one night. Our theory is that the camp got infested with rodents, and they bit the soldiers, and they died mysteriously in the night. <laughs> and so that's, that's the Egyptian recording of it. Um, God credits an angel of the Lord. Um, and he came down and, and took care of that. It's, it's really an amazing thing. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 3, Hezekiah developed a painful boil. It was life-threatening. Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, get your affairs in order. This is going to take your life. And Hezekiah prayed. He turned his face to the wall, it says, and he prayed. And before Hezekiah, before Isaiah the prophet got home, the Lord talked to him and said, go back and tell him, I'm going to add years back to his life. This boil isn't going to take him. The Lord heard his prayer and answered. And then in Isaiah chapter 38, verses 9 through 20, after the Lord heals him, after the Lord heals him, Hezekiah gives a prayer of thanks for the healing. And that prayer, it's a poem, it says. The poem that, Isaiah, that Hezekiah wrote after being healed of this boil is recorded in Isaiah 38, verses 9 through 20. So very much so, there's a lot of scripture that we have. I wouldn't say a lot by comparison to like David or Paul or somebody like that. But Hezekiah was a spirit-inspired scripture writer. We don't have a book called Hezekiah, of course, 
but there are multiple books, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah, that include his writings. It's amazing. And they're almost always of his prayers. Almost always of his prayers. And then last, Hezekiah was a man of great courage. He was a man of great courage. He stood down his father's wicked legacy. He stood up to the workers of false religion. He rebuked and motivated the recalcitrant priests who didn't want to do their job. He stood up to Sennacherib. He would not give in to pressure to seek Egypt as an ally. And all his days, he sought the Lord. The only time this man had trouble was in great prosperity. (laughs) It was prosperity in which he struggled. But in a crisis, Hezekiah is a man you want in your corner. And so as we read through, as our scripture reading lands us on this person of Hezekiah, I hope he can be an inspiration to you. I think very much we need a dose of him in our day. Especially the courage part. How hard it is in our day and age to tell somebody that they're wrong. And when's the last time you heard somebody say about something philosophical or theological, you're wrong. That's wrong. We don't often do that. We feel beaten back. We feel like those words can never come out. Our culture has plugged its ears and tried to shout over the top of everything while plugging its ears. And it's going to take a lot of Christian courage to stand up and say, turn to the Lord. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He will forgive. Don't be like your parents who hardened their hearts. Don't be like your brothers who are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. Turn to the Lord and he'll be found. This is a message that will require a lot of courage. But if Hezekiah could do it, we New Testament spirit-filled people sure can, can't we? All right, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the example that this man gave us. We pray that you would give us great courage to stand up against the false religion of our day. Help us to seek your word as this man did with all our hearts, live it out, and pursue you in it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.